about those white boy taco vendors. Don't double tax them. Rape one of their sisters, they'll fall in line. I don't want any moratoriums on torture. I want to see more. More violence. More rape. It's open season on Jews and Arabs. Let the word out. $1,000 per head. $2,000 of you filming. I'm going to turn this whole city into a theme park of pain. Drop it! Duncan and Buck come correct. I could be like on drugs or some shit like that. So ah, give it time. Yeah, you know, planet, planet don't, time, planet. Let's not, yeah, let's not rule it out yet. Yeah, are like episodes nine and ten, especially I think nine is as close to a new Twin Peaks episode as we may ever come. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like I, I, had I not known like any different i would have assumed that like a page from something david lynch was working on accidentally fell out of a folder and nicholas windenreff and happened to pick it up and then just roll with it because that's genuinely what i felt like i was like this is all over the fucking place yeah. but in a good way in yeah. a good way yeah well all right we'll get to it ladies and gentlemen oh dear yeah that's right caught you off guard i'm like i'm like a viper duncan when you least expect it i strike that's right, like a podcast ninja. <laughs> exactly. And uh, this is Duncan and Bo Come Correct. This iteration is Duncan and Bo are too old to die young. And we have reached the end of of the Nicholas Winding Refn series with this episode. We are covering episodes 9 and 10. As always, you don't have to have seen these episodes to enjoy the show. But, uh, you know, you might get a little more out of it. Uh, Duncan, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I can't believe we have we have flown through this in five five episodes, ostensibly five weeks, and come to the end of what is a thirteen plus hour TV show. I know we did a fine job, Duncan. It it, it speaks to our dedication, our yeah. uh, stick to itiveness. I don't think that's the thing, but I like it. Yeah, uh, it, it's like the most important word in business, Duncan. Chain of command. There is a chain of command. I'm not sure what it is, and I think we have a booklet that tells us what it is. Um, and one day I'll read it, but not today. Yeah, I, I've never thumbed through the Duncan and Bo Come Correct uh, HR guide, but I'm sure there's important shit in there. I kind of feel like we probably should, and that way it would mitigate the amount of times both of us are drawn up for sexual harassment. <laughs> I, I'm not entirely certain we have a sexual harassment policy. I, I think that that in itself speaks volumes. <laughs> yeah, that's never come up. I mean, it's come up, Duncan, but yeah, the yeah. harassment has never come up. Uh, no. Before we launch into the this final pair of episodes, uh, what we like to do here on the show is we like to begin with uh, what we've been watching, good and bad. And and Duncan, I am uh, all ears, oh, uh, right. save for the rest of my body about what you might have to bring to the table. So what have, what have you been watching, good and bad? Well, um, I think I said on the last episode that there was an unlimited screening, a secret screening in the UK, and I would have put down cold hard cash that was Tarantino. And was um, it, in fact, Tarantino? No, I would have lost cold hard cash if I'd done that, and that's why I'm not, not Instead, a gambler. It was warm, runny poop. What was it, Duncan? <laughs> um, out of nowhere... And ahead of schedule, considering this movie is debuting at Fright Fest next week, Cineworld in the UK for their unlimited subscribers and the secret screening uh, just dropped uh, Azure's Crawl. 
oh yeah i haven't seen it yet uh how was it really fucking good you're gonna have a lot of fun with that movie that that's what i keep hearing it's just one of those that like every time i've gone to the theater it's been something else and Mm i uh i might go see that you know the my next days off uh i i keep hearing that it's a lot of fun and kind of gory and exciting oh yeah he, he nailed exactly what a giant crocodile movie should be like he he hit that spot on I don't know why I'm surprised about that. Obviously, did Piranha and stuff, but in general, I have always kind of there have been some blips, but I've I've kind of been pro Aja for for pretty much all his career. So um, yeah, he's 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 back with a vengeance and he's doing what he does best. And yeah, it's real fucking good. The combination of him and uh, Sam Raimi in the background doing all the financing and production. That's a really good combination, and yeah. they need to make more movies. So. Sam Raimi, of course, producer of 2015's Poltergeist. Mm, yes. <laughs> Every now and again, you need a good director, though. Yeah, sure. But in fairness, Gil Keenan, uh, the guy who directed that, that Poltergeist uh, remake slash sequel, um, did Monster House, which was good. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't know what I'd like. Let's be honest. That movie shouldn't have happened. Everyone yeah. that was working on it knew it shouldn't have happened. Yet it still happened. So at some point you have to be like, uh, at what point can we, uh, at what point can we stop pointing fingers and just admit we all fucked up? <laughs> right. Uh, well, you know I mean, I, you know, I was talking about this actually, uh, the reason I, I, that's fresh on my mind. Uh, that's going to be a, an episode of the, the new season of pick six movies. And, um, it is that is a movie I have seen probably three times now, and mm-hmm. and if you give me a week and ask me again if I've seen it, I'll tell you no. <laughs> it is incredibly forgettable as a film. In fact, I think what they do at the end of that movie is they give you one of the Men in Black flashes, yeah, where you you totally forget the the past ninety minutes, and you're like, oh, they're remaking Poltergeist, Poltergeist with Sam Rockwell. That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Sam Rockwell will bring a level of legitimacy to this movie. <laughs> right. As he does with most things. Uh, but right, So that's your good, I assume, is the, is the crawl. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought um, the casting was really good. It's, it's very hokey, but it knows it's hokey. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it really delivered some vicious like gators. I was, I, I was really, really happy with that. And... Um, yeah, I'd like across the board. Just when like uh, we went to say it was me, uh, the Baz, and our pal Dave, and um, we were all still guessing right to the last minute what the movie was. And as soon as Crawl came up on the screen, I was like, "Yes!" Like, <laughs> fucking totally pumped. And then about twenty folk left as soon as the first person died because they're not horror fans, but and uh, the woman in front of me just looked like she was having the worst night of her life, which made me very happy. I was giggling all the way through. Every time something really gnarly happened, it made me clap my hands with glee more. So, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. So, yeah, I will be interested to hear what you make of that when you see it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I will get to that, you know, sooner rather than later. I, I'm hoping to catch it before it leaves theaters, and I think it's done enough business here that I, I've still got a couple of weeks to make that happen. Yeah, it's done enough business that, you know, Azure's once again toasted the horror town, so his name's getting linked to God knows how many productions. I will say the one thing he should not do, even though it was a weird story, what, a week and a half ago, um, is be anything to do with any potential Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Yeah. That's I- a bad idea. He's not the guy for that movie. 
I and I would argue because the the James Wan has also been bandied about, and yes. I, and I would argue he is also not the guy for the, for that. You need no, you need definitely not the guy. I think for a movie like that, you need somebody that's got some bite. You know, like somebody mm-hmm. needs to update it and make it vicious. Yeah, like like the original was like the first time. You know, when when the, the OG Nightmare on Elm Street hit, man, it was a you know really aggressive film. Oh, it's a nasty piece of work. You, I mean, that should surprise no one when you see the pedigree of the director and where he came from. You know, Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes. You know, you see that director's now doing a, a movie about a slasher killer that can kill you in your dreams, and it's a nasty movie. Yes, yes, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, did you see anything stinky? Um, not bad, but I have now seen the Avengers Endgame movie. Yeah, okay. Um, it was alright. Um, I, I think it's overly long. By the whole last half an hour of that movie, it could easily be chopped out. It's it's kind of like the Wonder Years, <laughs> like it's like a Wonder Years ending. Please go uh, on. Yeah, like, and on and on and on. And that was my problem. You know what I mean? Like, oh, right, let's let's have a funeral and now let's do this. Now let's do this. And what happens to this guy and what happens to this guy? And I understand they have to hand the baton off to someone else to carry forward um, the next what, 20 million years of superhero movies. But there was, there was huge bits that I, I just found myself thinking for all the cleverness of these movies, this is really lazy writing. Like if half the world's population is gone, right? And the world's population is what? What, what are we up to now? Uh, like five, six billion, something like that. Right, so there's 2.5 billion people on the planet. Every scene of the planet Earth posts that no one's on the streets, no one exists. You see no one. There's no cars driving. There's mm. no, you know, like, that to me is a massive issue. That is a massive, massive issue. And what they're saying is, you know, like, people are still indoors and not come out. Yeah, but entertainment still continues. You know, people are still making TV shows. You know, like, all, like, all this stuff still happens. And that to me is one of these glaring things where there's just no civilians at all. And as a result of that, once again, I'm back on the that's the one of the big conceits with a lot of these movies is that as soon as shit hits the fan, there are no people there. So um, I, I I didn't particularly like that. I, 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 if I'm honest, I didn't actually like this is the, uh, the first movie that I have actively disliked Tony Stark as a character. Whilst I understood quite a lot of his motivations, I like there's only so much of that, right? They're not that the him and Captain America don't like each other because they feel betrayed by each other, and you know, one smarter than the other, right? And now they're kind of making up, and now they don't like each other again, and now that, and it's like every it's been every movie for like the last four movies, and I'm getting to that stage where I'm like, this is kind of boring. But I thought there were things that they did that were really, really good. So I really enjoyed what they did with Thor. I thought that was making him the dude was fucking hilarious. That's um, real good stuff. Uh, yeah. That is genius writing. Um, the stuff with the Hulk as well. Really enjoyed that. Like really, really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, I like overall. I thought it was it was a CGI shit fest at the end, which I knew it was going to be, and that shit will age horribly within ten years. And yeah, it was an. I, I mean, I wrapped it out. Did I? Did I feel that this was the pinnacle of what ten plus years of writing all culminating together? Did I think that the flashbacks and the story that everyone kept telling me, oh, they've linked all the other ones in, was 
you know, this de- well-paced, deliberate piece of writing. No. I mean, you can find, in any movie, you can find, like, the, the Insidious movies have been doing it for, like, fucking four movies. Um, you can find any point in a movie to slip something in and say, oh, well, we, we always had it written this way that this meant something else. Um, yeah, I'd like, I'd, I just thought, once again, I thought it was an adequate movie with pretty good acting and an okay script that if I was, like, truly, truly, inv- even if I was truly invested in the subject matter, it still would be an average movie. So... I, I really it blows my mind that people are continuing to flate this movie in the in the level they are. Wasn't a bad movie, wasn't an amazing movie, somewhere in the middle. Well, Duncan, uh as always, it, it saddens me that you can't feel joy. Uh but, but, uh, but explain, also- the, explain the joy to me. This is the bit that confused me. Explain how this movie does anything different from any other superhero movie. Well, I think like, you, I think you have. It's just that, the scale's bigger. That's that's the only difference. But by making something bigger doesn't necessarily make it better. Yeah, I, I mean, sure, but I also think that the movie assumes a level of emotional investment that you don't have to these characters or the events taking place. And you know, for somebody like myself, uh, I really, really enjoyed the movie and and the big CGI shit fest at the end of it. Uh, which you're right, like 10 years from now, that CGI is going to look like garbage. But there were so many moments during that that I was like, oh, that's really cool. And here's this other thing that I really like. And I, I really like picking apart all the individual bits of action that are all happening across this giant canvas. And, you know, and by the time you reach the end and you're learning the final fates of, uh, you know, not just Tony Stark, but Captain America and the yeah, characters kind of you knew that weren't coming back. So the, the emotional hook that you're talking about is. Like, you knew they weren't coming back. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that I didn't feel, like, an emotional uh, response to those moments because it wasn't the, like, yes, I know that's going to happen, but also I don't know how they're going to get rid of them. Um, And the way that they did it in both cases, I was like, oh, that was really satisfying. And and especially with the Captain America one, it was like, oh, I I didn't see that coming, but it makes perfect sense, and... And I really like the way that that character was resolved. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not going to try to sweet talk you into liking a movie that I like for a host of reasons that, in many ways, don't have much to do with the film itself. It's, what it's, did you grade it? Uh, just to interest, what did you actually grade it? Uh, I think that, I, I think I gave it a four stars. See, I'm I'm a three. Like I, I I'm not that much below you. I just don't like like you're saying like. Uh, an emotional investment with characters who they just bring back. So, like, I, I, you know what? It, it, it reeked of, <laughs> it reeked of uh, Star Trek Four. You know when they they try and <laughs> try and bring the whales uh, to the. That's kind of I'm aware of what happens in Star Trek Four. <laughs> it kind of reminded me a bit of Star Trek Four. And um, I like Star Trek 4, I will have you know. There's a lot of funny jokes in there that do make me smile. But I just felt like, I don't know. I don't, like, once again, I, I think these movies are fine movies. I don't think they are amazing movies. And I think the people that think they are amazing movies are only seeing their amazing movies because they are invested in the character from their youth or an interest there without actually necessarily being invested in the film. 
Yeah. I think that's, I yeah. think that's, and I think that's where I come down is that I'm looking at it with no knowledge about where any of these things go on. So I judge it as a film, and as a film, it's an adequate film. Nothing more, nothing less. A lot of money spent in it, maybe fucking still making money, um, and will continue to make money probably forever. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it finished, and I, I, that movie should not be three hours long. And I, I'm just, I'm staking my flag in the ground. That should not, there was a whole hell of a lot of stuff happening in there that I was like that. Let's just keep it going. Right, why are we putting the brakes on here? And I know it's to give all 25 characters involved their five minute, yeah, but eventually, eventually I get to a point. And I was watching it in, at home with my home comforts. Where I was, you know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't feel like a, but I would never have lasted through that in the cinema. I, I'd like, I would have, my legs would have started twitching, I would have got antsy, I would have been up the bit, up and about in parts far, 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 far too long. And the fact that there's another version which has more stuff in it, why? <laughs> like, what did you skip over? Like, really, what story did you not tell? Um, so yeah, that's my thought. And incidentally, I'm not, I am not impressed that the new it movie that's coming out is two and three quarter hours long. Like that, that movie should not be two unless unless it's stacked from front to end with some of the best shit I've ever seen. That second instalment of it should not be two and three quarters hours long. That no way, no for a popcorn horror movie. Nope. Yeah, I, down. yeah. I mean, we'll see how it all goes, but you know, I, I, I'm always of the Roger Ebert uh, opinion of. No, no movie that you're enjoying can be too long, and no movie that you don't like can be too short. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, just to wrap up the the Avengers conversation, another thing I've I I'm sure I've said before on this show is like your reaction to the Avengers movies is my reaction to modern Star Wars movies. Where I'm yeah. like, I don't have any investment in this, so I just look at them as movies. And so it's weird that something like The Last Jedi, that a lot of fans really derided. And I was like, oh, this is the best one so far. Oh, I, but I see there's, there's a difference. So I, I view those movies exactly the same way. And The Last Jedi is my favorite of any of the incarnations since it came back. Yeah. So like, I, I, I when I go and see a movie, I judge it as a movie. I don't. I don't walk in there, watch a movie, and go, well, it's my favourite. Like, I, If that was the case, when I went to see, like, uh, you're a lot like me in, in this respect. Like, when I, when I went to see the Friday the 13th remake, it's my favourite on-screen horror character of all time. Um, and I walked in, and I was like, well, that was a bit of a shit show. Um, <laughs> right, like, right. I mean? like, so, like, I, I, I will judge a movie like I judge a movie. Yeah. Like, afterwards, I'll sit there and say, well, you know, uh, I really like what they did to this character. I really, you know, dislike what they do to that character. But a movie's a movie, and fundamentally, that's how I, that's how I review them. I will say this of the Avengers movie: the systematically removed all the characters that I couldn't give a fuck about. So that bodes well for me moving forward with them. Yeah, I'm, I'm real curious what they do uh, with the new Doctor Strange movie. That sounds interesting. It, it, that has that has my interest. Yeah, that sounds pretty pretty interesting. And uh, anyway, you can hear more about this on Legion Podcast, Legion Inc., a new show uh, that will be coming in about a week. Oh, yeah, specific to the Legion Podcast uh, podcast feed. And uh, it's myself and uh, Jason Gray, who is much smarter about comic books, uh, talking about comic book shit. 
It's always good to have someone smarter than you in a show. It it's not hard. That's yeah. the that's my blessing. Is that you? You swing a cat, and you're liable to find somebody smarter than uh, me. I'm not saying that's why I'm here, though. <laughs> I mean, this is a special case. I feel like you and I are about on the same level, which is just a couple of dipshits. Um, Wait, what about you? Like, I've just like I've just commanded an entire chat of good and bad. What have you watched? What's what's been your good? What's been your bad? Okay, Tell let me. I'll give you the bad, which isn't really that bad. I th- I think it's probably I think I've been spoiled recently. I don't think yeah. I've seen much bad. Um, but I watched uh, the Alita Battle Angel. I liked that movie. I, I I liked it. I thought it was. I it felt rushed to me. I wish there had been more room for that movie to breathe and explore the world a little bit. Uh And especially in the last act, it was just like, Oh, it's over. Okay. Uh, I don't know. And I, I also am not crazy about movies that set themselves up for a a non guaranteed sequel. You mean like the show we're about to talk about? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Like the show we're about to talk about, but um, (laughs) yeah, I, I think that, I thought it was good. I thought it, it, there were there was a lot I liked about it, and I think most of my disappointment in the movie stems from the fact that I just wanted it to be a little bigger. Mm. Um, that and I and I kind of mean in terms of just exploring the characters a little bit more, exploring the world a little bit more, exploring you know the, this other world that hovered above them a little bit more to give me a little bit more of all of that stuff. Um, and I understand that, Hey, you got to tell a story within the, you know, roughly two hours. It's just, I felt like they were, they were trying to present too many threads that were never going to pay off in this one movie. Do you think they think that they have a guaranteed sequel in their hands just because the pedigree of who's involved? I, I think that was part of it. I think also the fact that, you know, it's like, Hey, we're doing this crazy big action movie that is about this android girl and the political climate is kind of right for this movie because it's very empowering. Also the movie is good. I mean, there's no Mm -hmm. getting around that. And the, and I think that can also create a lot of, uh, sort of feedback, a feedback loop within a production company where they're like, Hey, not only is this the right time to put this movie out, we're actually putting out a movie that's, that has some quality to it. Yeah. yeah. And, and so why wouldn't we be confident that people, even if the, the first weekend isn't gangbusters, maybe word of mouth is going to keep it like, put some legs under it. And, and I, that just never happened, which is really unfortunate, but um, do you think I, I, like I've been thinking about this, like because like at the stage that we're at just now, the only the only two guaranteed successes in terms of box office are comic book movies, and they have to be Marvel movies, yeah, because um, there's no guarantees of anything else making any sort of dent. Sure, and horror movies, yeah, yeah, you're at right. the moment, and everything else that doesn't fall hard in one way or the other is just not making money. If you're a studio, should you be spending a hundred million on a movie that isn't a Marvel movie? Um, and you, no one spends a hundred million on a, a, a right. horror movie it's, anyway. So yeah, well, but I, you know, my argument has always been like as we've increasingly uh, crept towards the this ultimate, you know, uh, dystopian future 
of <laughs> cinema where you only get a couple of different kinds of movies. And like I said, I'm in the bag for these Marvel movies. I love them, but I also don't want that to be the only thing there is to go see at the theater. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a problem. I think that you need, uh, th- this gets into a larger conversation, but I also think that the death of the auteur director is also part and parcel of this, that because you're yeah. not making movies for 20, 30, 40 million dollars, and sort of putting, you know, three or four of those out there as opposed to one giant uh, comic book movie that, you know, that that sort of gone hand in hand where I don't know. I don't know where the, the chicken and the egg is on this of like, oh, there aren't like clever visionary filmmakers making their own movies that draw people to the theater because where else are you going to see a movie like this? Yes. Yeah, I think that, but that's what excites me about. That's why whenever the conversation about Netflix or Amazon comes up that, you know, I just, I'm just like, I don't know what you're complaining about because like, they appear to be wooing the auteur directors over. Right. But that means they're, they're not in theaters anymore. It, it does, but I think that that maybe is a byproduct of the very thing that you're saying, that people, like, there's a, a sea change in how people consume media, and there's yeah. a sea change of what people want to go and see. People, like, cinema is so expensive now that people want to go and see, like, movies with bells and whistles on them and loud and actiony or terrifying. Yeah. They, they don't want to go and see the, you know, two-and-a-half-hour you know, Picasso movie. Uh, sure, yeah, like at Eternity's Gate, where Willem Dafoe <laughs> is Vincent Van Gogh. You know, yeah, but, you know, but then like Netflix and Amazon and your Hulu's and all the other ones know that you know they can they've got enough people in the bag with what they're doing that they can afford to get something by you know like a Nicholas Winden reffing yeah. or maybe somewhere down the line a David Lynch or something and to get these guys in and get them you know to to offer them true artistic freedom as well which they struggle with um to get movies in cinema to do what they want so I think it's maybe like I, I know what you're saying but part of me is kind of excited by that model because Especially if you're making things for Netflix, um, or as we saw definitely with uh, Too Old to Die Young, it, it, it doesn't look like anyone's inputting anything to these guys, and you're getting the rawest sort of style of auteur film, filmmaking by these directors. So, yeah. you know, first, first it, t- it take it away with the one hand, you know, but it is giving us back um, some really interesting stuff it just it, i think it just speaks to the times that were there sure. i mean super superhero movies will eventually plateau everything plateaus right the um, taste will eventually change and the superhero movie will be replaced with something else and there could be exactly. a, you know another like 1970 somewhere in our future where oh it's just all these auteur directors doing these unique films yeah um that's not where we are now and you know the, the other thing uh that has changed culturally is that people have become terrible. And, <laughs> no, people were always terrible. Bob. Right. But you put a phone in their hand and, and going to the movie becomes a fucking nightmare yeah. where it's just like, will you just stop texting for two seconds and watch the fucking movie you paid to, to see? And, and like, it's, that is one of the things that I, I go back and forth with because I remember, you know, going to, 
going to the theater as a kid and it was as close to a religious experience as I ever had. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was truly magical seeing stuff like, you know, Ghostbusters in the theater three times in a row and shit like that. And and seeing it with an audience that was excited about being there. And yeah. and it feels now like people go to the movies and they treat it like their living room because they're so used to watching movies like this in their living room. And not yeah. and and not creating that space where it's like, no, 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 this is a place where we all come together to experience this thing and and that is the experience you should be having, not the constant distraction of, you know, a phone in your hand or or whatever. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it, it's a bummer because as much as I love to go to the movies, I don't really like to go to the movies. Um, yeah. and, and that's unfortunate. It, it's, you know, it, I, it's a very, you know, get out of my lawn, uh, thing to say, <laughs> but it really does bother me that, you know, there was a time when going to the movies w- felt like an occasion and now, uh, I still treat it like an occasion, but I seem to be the only one in the theater that does so. It's just the occasion has changed. That's that's all it is like uh, right, but but when you've got your fucking phone out, when you've got your fucking phone, <laughs> when you've got your fucking phone out, what you're like you're creating this point of distraction, this yep. light, this beacon that is calling the attention. It's like I didn't come to this movie to see your phone light up in your lap. Oh, I I I can I can pl- I that yeah I completely understand that. I I just that's. That's how the world is, though. I, I, I think yeah, I you can try and rage against the machine on these sort of things, or you can, like, you, you're doing the right thing. You're like, that's not a pleasant experience. I will just recreate it at home. Right. right you know well, I mean? Yeah. And I've, I've got a perfect analog to it. Uh, yeah. And, which and, is, I mean, you think about had this happened before all this equipment was readily available and, you know, cheaper than it's ever been to do that you'd be fucked, but you yeah. are afforded the opportunity now that you can kind of rectify things. And it may not be exactly the same experience. I would argue in a lot of respects, the experience you'll have will be a better one um, because there will be no one there who can potentially annoy you. You can be more comfortable yourself. So I think there's that, but there is, you do lose, there are certain genres of movies which benefit from crowds and yeah. horror movies in particular are one of them. There's a cathartic experience you get when you can, even if it doesn't scare you, vicariously live through someone's shrieks and yells. I mean, there's a, a buzz that comes off that that you just won't get anymore. But like kids today, and this is me doing my get off my lawn speech. Um, kids today, that's the, the, um, multitask in a weird way where they're being bombarded with absolutely everything and they just that's how life is i don't think they give anything 100 percent of their attention at all everything's like versions or percentages of of different strokes of attention so that you know that's just how they are they can't switch that off it's it's very difficult for them there are theater chains out there like uh, when i was over in virginia going to the alamo draft house was a fucking amazing experience so there are cinemas that are catching on to that kind of remember a simpler time you know they are they are capturing that sort of idea but yeah your 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 standard flair kind of cineplex you're just gonna have to you're just gonna have to suck it up though can i can i tell you my good movie though of course you can what was your good movie uh so uh i went to the theater to see once upon a time in hollywood 
Now, it's out next week in the UK, and I'm excited because everyone that I know from the horror world has really dug it. Everyone else has strong opinions on Quentin Tarantino, and not the movie, apparently, but Quentin Tarantino, which is, like, like just tell me how the movie is. That's all I need yeah, to And know. also, fuck that. Uh, like Quentin Tarantino is one of the few filmmakers actually making movies, you know, that are unusual. And, and when you watch them, nobody else could have made this movie, but Quentin Tarantino, he's making spectacles, bull. Right. And he's not like a Polanski raping kids or shit. He's just, he's got a foot fetish and he's a little weird, but what are you going to do? You know? Uh, so yeah, just leave, leave the guy alone. Let him make movies, quit harassing him. So he'll keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but all right, so let me, uh, obviously I'm not going to spoil anything because you haven't seen it yet, but I will say it is, uh, a delight of a movie. Mm-hmm. It is very Tarantino. It is, uh, it is him really just wallowing in a period of filmmaking that he clearly loves mm-hmm. and has recreated incredibly faithfully. Um, Brad Pitt is, he's just playing Robert Redford in the movie and he's <laughs> fine with that. <laughs> right. And it's fucking amazing. Um, there is, there is a scene with him feeding his dog. That is one of the best scenes I've seen in a movie this year. As, as silly as that sounds. And Leonardo DiCaprio, who is an actor, I don't necessarily care for all that much, but oh. I, I like him in this uh, a whole lot. Uh, I, like I liked him in What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and I thought he was kind of fine in everything else until now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, he is pretty good. I forgot. Like even Catch Me If You Can is a movie that I really like, but I wish somebody else was in it. Um, I really like him in The Departed. He's fine in The Departed, but again, I wish <laughs> I, I wish that were a different actor, and I would like it more. Um, but it, anyway, that that's not the point. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is fucking great. It is uh, surprising. It is uh, just, it's a beautiful movie to look at. The music, of course, is great because it's Tarantino. Um, It was shot on 35 millimeter, so it it has that actual film quality to it that uh, makes it just look kind of rich and deep. And it's, I mean, it's just uh, like, it's everything you want. I, I, I loved Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say Hateful Eight I prefer because it's a little bit darker of a movie. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's one thing about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a strangely optimistic film. It <laughs> It is a really, uh, like a really cheery movie at the end of the day. And despite the fact that, you know, you're dealing with sort of these Manson family characters and so forth, um, that is not the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. And the fact the, I can't really talk about like why that's important to the movie without spoiling it. Well, but just said, to like, say, Tarantino said said in interviews beforehand that that wasn't the purpose of the movie. So, like, yeah. I, that, like when I go and like I, I'm already going in just expecting that to be you know like a backdrop of some description, knowing that Tarantino very much likes to play with. His version of like alternative histories. Anyone that's seen Inglorious Bastards knows that. Yeah. Um, so and, yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. I and I I would kind of put this on that level. I like I like this a little more than I liked Inglorious Bastards. Not as much as I liked Hateful Eight. But it's it's cool. it, it's in the ballpark. I mean, it's 
as so good it's no as no Jackie Brown is what you're telling me because that's my favorite. Uh, I haven't. I it's Jackie been a long time since I've seen Jackie Brown. I, like my favorite is the Kill Bill pairing. I think Kill Bill is real, one and two is, is real good. It, like to me, that is just you know, like the the a- apex of cinema. Is like you're doing this crazy good action movie, but it's just so stylized and beautiful. And anyway, love the, those films. But, you know, like if you're a Tarantino fan or just shit, if you're just a movie fan, you can make an argument for any of his movies being your favorite. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and that's what makes him such an interesting filmmaker is like, like, like you said about Jackie Brown, like you catch me after seeing Jackie Brown on a fresh viewing and I might tell you that's his best movie. And yeah, you need to go back and revisit that if you haven't, by the way. That movie uh, yeah. is a pure fucking joy. It's incredible. Uh, and likewise, you give me a couple more viewings of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That uh, may be there. I, I, I could really change my tune on it. Like, I already really, really liked the movie. Um, I, I had such a blast watching it. And, and it was funny because I was talking to uh, a, a friend of mine who she had seen it uh, a couple of days before me. And, mm-hmm. and she was like, eh, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. And, you know, there are things I liked, there are things I didn't like and, and so forth. And then coming out of the movie and I was, I was sort of trading text with her, uh, in the theater, of course, so I could distract the, the other film goers. <laughs> um, but I was, I was trading text with her and I was saying, you know, here's what I think that this movie is about. And here's why I think this thing happened in this order and why this character was in the movie. And as I was explaining what my feelings were about the movie, I started to like the movie more because, mm. ju- because in the description of what I thought was interesting, I realized just how clever it really was and mm-hmm. how, and how much of a big puppy dog of a movie it really was. And, and yeah, I think it's his most joyous film It is such a celebration of cinema and, and, and of a lost time in Hollywood and that kind of thing. Like I said, I think it's, it, it's truly one of the, the, my, my biggest complaint is it feels kind of lightweight because of that, because of how friendly and, and cheery the movie is, uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting to say, like, don't get me wrong. There is still violent shit in this movie. <laughs> well, it's Tarantino, so. Right. And it's going to be one of those things where, like, w- you know, things will turn on a dime and all of a sudden you're in this scene that is full of gruesome imagery where, and but it's also funny and silly and, you know, all those things. But I, I do think it's a, a really, I, I think it's his most purely optimistic film. And uh and I loved it for that. So um yeah, it's it's really really good and you know, again, if you're just a fan of movies, what on earth are you doing not seeing Once Upon a Time <laughs> in Hollywood? It, it it's a it's a movie by one of movies best movie makers about movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it is just potentially a snake eating its tail a little bit, but fuck it, it's such a delightful uh film. And and there is a Bruce Lee character cameo that is just one of the greatest things that's ever happened in a movie. So nice. yeah, you're, you're gonna love it. I can't wait to talk to you after you see it. Um, speaking of auteurs, Duncan. Oh, I think it's time we turned our attention to our dark business. <laughs> it's worth stressing up front here that we did mention on the previous episode that whilst this is the last two episodes. Unlike any other two episodes of this season, um, or unlike any TV show in history, <laughs> like, I can't think of anyone. 
Um, Wyndham Refn has decided to make sure that this very final episode is succinct and I was going to say to the point, but we'll get into that. Yeah, these last two episodes conjoined together are probably just under two hours long. About an hour and a half, hour 45, something like that. Which is fucking nuts. Yeah. I mean, it's the shortest. uh, Both of these episodes rank in the, you know, shortest episodes of the season and uh and there's not i was gonna say there's not there's plenty that happens but yes but but it's also a lot of weird shit that doesn't necessarily propel the plot it's well mm, yeah it's i I it depends how we look at this right so i think what we should see up front here is and the time since the last recording there's right my loose understanding was this was a standalone one season done Nicholas Winden ref and Mike drop roll off into the sunset but we heard news during the week that Amazon had confirmed that they were not renewing it for a second season you tagged me in it I was like that doesn't make any sense at all it's a one and done season but neither one of us at that point had actually seen the last episode having now seen the last episode in the context of the final two episodes, it feels like a lot of stuff, a lot of pieces have been moved into place for a continuation of the story that we'll never get, which, and we're going to mention Twin Peaks on this episode, but if ever there was a end of season two Twin Peaks vibe floating around, it's this. Yeah. And that it finishes on a, a very deliberate point where if you're the audience, you're like, business just picked up and then the show is like well no <laughs> the end fin you know what i mean <laughs> yeah you're like what <laughs> what yeah um, and and let's just jump into it because speaking of it being lynchian yes it, it starts that way where this is very twin like this is full-blown remember when we talked about black lodge magic remember that was yes a phrase for a while that well this is black lodge magic through and through a hundred percent and the fact that there was not, a, you know, a little person speaking backwards in this scene is absolutely stunning. Um, but so we open on Diana's house, which is pretty, uh, pretty fancy. It's a really nice house. And she's she, doing well for herself, considering she doesn't take any money. Bo. Well, you know, she I'm sure she fences all these, uh, you know, knickknacks and, and earrings well, like- and whatnot. <laughs> On the corner of Hollywood in a trench coat. Now, you, you want to buy some pearls? Want to buy some pearls? Yeah. It, it, <laughs> just a trench coat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and it's worth saying, like, you know, the last episode we get uh, Miles Teller getting fucking murdered. Yeah. The last episode was, like, genuinely scarring. Right. <laughs> like, to say the least. And I was like, that. oh, we'll get to see the after effect. And the show's like, no. No, like that story is done. Don't sweat it. He's he's I'm fucking dead. <laughs> and instead we we go to Diana and there we see flashes of these kind of red out of focus lights that we've seen flash in a, in an episode or two. Mm-hmm. And then and there there's one flash where we see this big fire roaring and then we see an image that we saw at the end of the last episode which is this like silver skin girl yeah, who multiple all, versions of the same girl. Yeah, who has these silver eyes. And then Diana just like starts coughing and wakes up. 
all all scared and whatnot because it's only been a dream boy it's only a dream only a dream uh except she goes to the bathroom again very nice bathroom by the way Mm-hmm. Um, one of those uh, like basin sinks, the bowl sinks that I really yeah, like. Yeah, very nice, very nice. So, but she goes to the bathroom and she's washing her hands. But when she looks in the mirror, Duncan, she's got silver eyes. Dun dun dun. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this weird shit that Reffin uh was throwing in. Apparently, that matters somehow. Yeah, because. Yeah. Uh, apparently diana is now the girl with the silver eyes um so she goes that was a bad reference to the rolling stone song the girl with the faraway eyes which there is no way that would have landed no that that, but uh, i I trust that you knew that when you did that and i applaud your commitment yeah that was just a, a poor decision from every corner but so diana takes off uh and and goes to this like hole in the wall storefront mm-hmm. where there's a, a United We Stand poster in the window was the most notable thing about it. And she goes to a guy who's like in a uh, sort of receptionist cage where uh, uh, he's keeping guard as people come in. And, and Diana asks if she is here. She. Right. And the uh, the guy in the booth is uh spanish speaking and he says uh yeah you she's in the courtyard so i'll I'll let you in and so diana goes through this shop into this little courtyard behind uh this building and there is this hooded lady (laughs) just sitting around being creepy yeah yeah i I, I love like the boldness to just introduce more characters right yeah (laughs) hey we're about to wrap this up but by the way here's our log lady of of uh too old two twin to die peaks <laughs> oh my god it's like then it's, it's like it's a total king willie moment as well yeah you know what i mean it's a total about the one who'll be doing the killings are ya? you know what i mean it's like what the fuck are we doing here and like she walks out and she's just like she's like that i woke up like this yeah and she's and she's like mm, that's a bad case of silver eye uh, right like did, were, did you like poop and then rub your eyes like what happened what led to this yeah and like but the, to me what was really interesting about this is like we we spoke about this like her as a character through this you know she communes with spirits and all the rest but we've always had this inclination that maybe that wasn't the case maybe it was this opportunistic thing of well i need someone to do my killings for me so i will manipulate these people by you know maybe potentially like there, there was no hard evidence of the ability to speak to people in a different dimension or um on a different plane of existence or anything we were just going hard word now uh, all that's true like everything's yeah. true and it, i'm like oh whoa <laughs> right uh, you know the the hooded lady is like the owls are flying um <laughs> yeah it, it is a hundred percent black lodge shit it totally is. They, they're not what they seem, Bo. They're not what they seem. <laughs> right. Uh, then uh, she gives the lady uh, a trinket, much like she receives, mm-hmm. uh, w- which I thought was interesting. And then after revealing that she's got a case of the silver eyes, you said, uh, the hooded lady is like, well, what have you? what did you see? Was it anything different? She was like, well, no, not really. It was... The you more of the same. It's eruptions of violence and death, and at the center of it, though, is a woman. 
Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> right. It's like, holy shit, the, the thing that, you know, we realized at the end of the last episode, because we're not, you know, prognosticators or anything, mm-hmm. but the one thing that makes sense that these two women are going to end up together, it's like, holy shit, we, we are not only headed that way, we are now giving Diana visions of Yaritza. Mm-hmm. And Diana says she doesn't know who it is, and that she asks the beings for help (laughs) and uh, she says but they're gone now ever since Mm -hmm. i woke up with the silver eyes they're gone and the hooded lady is like look bitch you need to figure out (laughs) what they wanted you to see otherwise ain't no coming back from the silver eyes that's right stop being a basic bish Uh uh-huh and diana is just like i want my eyes back (laughs) give me back my eyes and where we are going, we don't need eyes to see. Uh, uh, that, uh, that's all that this show is lacking, is a Sam Neill to show up and be a, a you know representative, the ambassador from hell. Yeah, yeah. why Sam Neill never worked with either Nicholas Winden Refn or fucking David Lynch? That feels like a misstep somewhere. Right, I mean, God bless him for getting in the Taika Waititi camp. Because uh, mm-hmm. that guy just makes nothing but joyous movies, but I th- yeah, I agree. We need to see him. And oh my god, what if? Just hear me out. Uh-huh. There's Twin Peaks season four, mm-hmm. episode one. Kyle MacLachlan uh, falls asleep and he wakes up as Sam Neill. I would. I I can't. My brain couldn't even process that. But it'd be all over. Yeah, I would. I would skeet so hard my teeth would fall out. <laughs> You would you would actually like cum your molars. Yeah. That would much. that would be painful. That much protein and calcium de- depleting from my body and my ejaculate would ruin my teeth. What if you um, just came yourself inside out? <laughs> he 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 turned himself inside out by his dick hole. Sounds painful but worth it. Yeah, absolutely um, worth it. You become like the altered states car- uh, guy from you know, when William Hurt starts banging against the wall at the end, and there's yeah. that one that's all veins and red. Mm-hmm. That's what you look like. That's a guy who saw Kyle McLaughlin go to sleep and wake up as Sam Neill. <laughs> yeah. I have seen the cauldron of creation, and it is Kyle McLaughlin waking up as Sam Neill. It's called the old switcheroo, boy. The old switcheroo. The old lyncheroo. The lynch. Oh, oh the lyncheroo. I gave him the old lyncheroo. Uh, that's what happens when David Lynch skips out on a lunch tab. Or when uh, someone spends a lot of money for David Lynch to write a sensible ending to a TV show and he goes, ah, fuck you. <laughs> right. We'll give you a few million dollars to wrap up Twin Peaks. You got it. <laughs> I'm totally not doing that. Um, anyways. Operation Lyncheroo. Operation Lyncheroo. And then he just drops his hand over his forehead, wiggles his fingers. As a woman does a dance with a flower in her lapel. Yeah. Uh, man, I need to watch Firewalk with me again. It's so good. Boy, I, so I, good. I've referenced it in just my walking around time way too much lately. It's like, all right, well, that just tells me it's time. You need to get your system. I do. I got to I gotta have the lynch purge. <laughs> got to go on the lynch diet. Um, nothing but <laughs> cigarettes, coffee, and weird movies. Weird movies. Um, anyway. So back uh, in uh, two silver to die eyes, 
<laughs> the this hooded lady and Diana are like surrounded by candles, and there's like this dude performing. The dude from the booth is performing this like Santeria style ritual, mm-hmm. and he gives her either a communion wafer or a tab of acid. Either one is possible, and both are acceptable, and, and both would make just as much sense. He puts these crazy jewel eyes over her eyes, mm-hmm. like uh, when. Johnny Depp had painted eyes in that uh, Pirates of the Caribbean sequel. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, except these are jewels and <laughs> treasure, and and treasure worth, uh, probably worth a lot of money. And they were, quite frankly, probably given to either uh, Diana or this hooded woman as payment for murder. Yeah, just use them as a pair of makeshift jewel spectacles. And <laughs> then the the hooded lady is like, "So what do you see?" And Diana says, I see a naked woman in a desert walking toward me, but I'm not scared. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she opens her eyes and they're back to normal. That's all she needed to do was put a couple of really expensive jewels on her eyes. That's all any of us need to do at the end of the day, Duncan, except instead of my eyes, I use my nipples. That is good to know. As the as the great Britpop band from the UK, Corner Shop, once sang, but... Everyone needs a bosom for a pillow. Ah, uh, what a nice sentiment. That That's something that Jeffrey Dahmer embraced. Well, it was more dick and balls. Um, <laughs> Everyone needs a penis as a sausage. He, yeah. Uh, he goes <laughs> the song. And, and it turns out Diana can hear the beans again uh, as well. Yeah. They were like, yo, bish. I don't know why I'm saying bish a lot. I like it, though. Yeah, it's funny. He's like, hey, yo, Diana, take this soda, bish. And uh, that's the first time I've ever used that word. And it felt dirty. And you'll use it a lot now. Once you've said it once, you've opened the floodgates to multiple abuses of the of the term bish. Bish is like the tattoo of vocabulary. Once you use it once, it, it's just you're you're hungry for your next opportunity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll you find a way. Life finds a way. Life, uh, uh. <laughs> bish, uh, uh, finds a way. Um <laughs> But anyway, so he after he gives her a soda, uh, the lady, uh, the hooded lady, is like, "Now we wait." And um, Dinah says, "Yes, I'll wait until she finds me." Yeah, and I'm like, "That oh, this show's going to end up with these characters meeting up." Woo! Oh, it's going to be so good, Duncan. Camp down. And then hard cut to Yuritsa doing her makeup as uh, to tell us, like, "Oh, a hundred percent, this is who Diane is having visions of." Mm-hmm. Not that we needed that hint, but um, Jesus is uh, waiting outside the front door. Oh, this is just, I guess, every time you think we've reached a new level of deviancy, um, they, they go one step further. I mean, is the whip in the ass more deviant than this? No, I think this is... Uh, there's just something wrong about this. Right, the whip in the ass, I can kind of understand, right? Like, some people have that kink, and that's cool. But the blatant, you will dress like my mother, you will speak to me as if I am your son, I will feed... There's something very um, Duke of Burgundy about this as well. Right. And that, you know, like he tells her what to, like they speak in English so she can speak in Spanish back to him to tell him what he wants her to tell him to do. But yeah, I think this is the, like of all the things they've done, 
this is the one that just gave me the the creeps, and I think it's mostly down to the fact that he is blatantly, you know, blatantly wanting to sleep with his mother, who is no longer alive. But not only that, he wants to be his mother as well, which is kind of strange. Right. This, boy, the psychological can of worms we open up for Jesus in this scene is really something. Uh, <laughs> so... Right, he's dressed up like he has just been to school. Yaritza is not only dressed up like uh, Magdalena, his mother, but is also, Duncan, speaking in English like her. Yeah. And so she says, hi, boy, how was school? And Jesus is like, "Uh," I realize I did not have that on uh, vibrate. Anyway, and then she says, um, Jesus is like, it was okay, mom. And you're like, oh, oh, no. Nope. And it, uh, another thing I thought that was interesting is just the way the shots framed as they're standing in the doorway, that she is taller than him in her heels oh, yeah. in this scene. Like, it's very much like, oh, she is absolutely the dominant person in this relationship. Of course, he's dressed like a school kid pretty much as well. And um, <laughs> like he doesn't... Angus Young from ACDC. <laughs> minus, minus cap. Uh, but he's not making eye contact. He's looking down at his shoes very sheepishly. And um, yeah, they, they go through the kitchen um, and I'm like that. Everything is wrong. Let's stop this. Is anyone going to address what happened to poor Martin? And the show's like, no, no. Yeah. We're not going to do that. Right. The, the, that business is concluded. Mm -hmm. Uh, but she ends up taking some money from him as if he's been selling drugs at school. Like, obviously this is all role play as, as him in high school coming home to his mother. And she's like, this is a lot of cash. If this keeps up, there's going to be a big reward. Yeah. Oh no. And then she says, uh, do you like my new dress? And then he seems a little fidgety. And then she asks what's wrong in Spanish. And then that's where he's like, Ask me about a glass of milk. Yeah, which I was like, oh, no. Because uh, wholesome don't ruin milk. Uh, but it's also maternal, which is the point of all this. Yeah. And she says, maybe mommy, like in her English accent, maybe mommy should get you a nice glass of milk. <laughs> Why don't you do a show about the Jersey Devil? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my> God, fuck. <laughs> and he, he follows her into the into the kitchen. And he's just staring at her as she pours this glass of milk for him. And then he drinks it, like just staring dead at her, drinks this glass yeah. of milk. And then he says, do you think I look like you? And she says, oh, honey, of course you do. <laughs> and then takes him into her like bedroom, and specifically her makeup room, mm -hmm. and just makes him over like a girl. Yeah, get, makes him look like he's not. Yeah. And then she asks him if, if he th thinks about her. Like, you know, do you think about me in a hot way? And then he's like, oh, by the way, she'd give me cat eyes and then give herself cat eyes before she sucked me off. Uh-huh. Uh and he's like, so keep talking. And like you said, this is kind of a real Duke of Burgundy moment. The difference is that once he gives these instructions, he is no longer in charge. Yeah. You know? Um, and and by the way, Yaritza, unlike Duke of Burgundy, does not seem to mind doing this. <laughs> she is into oh, she humiliating is, him. Yeah, yeah, she she is totally into that, which in a lot of respects makes a lot of sense. Sure. Um, when you see like her character arc as a whole. 
Yeah, I mean, she is emasculating him in this scene, and it, what greater vengeance than like the guy who is trafficking in women to make him, you know, this weak woman. Yeah, and and to use him. Although the the scene concludes after she says, "We look like twins." Um, it like he ends up fucking her from behind with a belt around her waist for leverage. Which I yep. was like, handy trick. Never thought about it. Now in the book, I've seen it. You, I've seen someone use a towel before. Um, when I say I've seen someone, I've seen porn <laughs> where a towel has been used as a kind of makeshift marine. Oh, I thought it was going to be like I saw someone at a bus station one time using a towel to really go after it. Well, you know, if you stand around a bus stop long enough, boy, you'll see everything. Right. <laughs> That's. That is my belief, and also why I built my house immediately across from a bus station. It was noted. Was noted. Um, but yeah, so and he he's assuming the position of dominance, and there's and then there's a kind of post kind of coital cigarette thing, and they're kind of you know like very much like any relationship built on kind of like SNM or dominance or things. There are moments where, you know, generally post ejaculate, you, you know, you, you kind of slip back into normality. And um, she's specifically asking about a meeting that he has planned and how he's feeling about it. What do you think the outcome will be? And he's like, well, you know, things will be fine and all the rest of it. But why do you ask? And she's like, well, yeah, you, you're now no longer going as you know Magdalena's son you're now going as Miguel's cousin um so there's a difference here people are going to look at you different people are going to act around you different um and we we like what we find out what I really like about this episode is we now see the full extent of that character arc in in the Jesus in general and how you know he's been forged like uh, at the gates of like his mother being just like this petty drug dealer, ultimately what he will become, which is nothing short of terrifying. Yeah. Well, she asks him in this scene, like, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus Rojas, King of Kings. I am going to be their father and mother from now on. I'll seduce them, command them. No one will ever give you power. You always have to take it. Yeah. I mean, he is, Again, if he weren't wearing makeup, this would be incredibly effective. But also, the- it's the sort of thing I say to someone at the McDonald's drive-through when they tell me I have to wait for my order. <laughs> I am the King of Kings. I'm going to be your father and mother from now on. Yep. Yeah. Uh, does it work? Um. Yes. <laughs> I get. Uh, I get an extra uh, sauce for my nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> They keep throwing an extra hash brown just in case, just to keep me sweet, but um, it's generally the, the end bit that terrifies them, you know, where I'm like, you know, uh, where I'm basically saying to them, you know, I mean, uh, like, I, well, I change it slightly, you know I mean? Like, no one gives you the extra hash brown, you have to take it. Yes. Um, and then they're like, yeah, we'll have it then. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what you do. If you ever want to terrify anyone at a drive through quote cartel speak. Yeah. It works. And and be sure you're wearing makeup when you say it. Of course. Well, that's just uh, frosting on top of the muffin bowl. Oh, it sure is. And, and so after he gives his you know bedside speech, 
uh, we cut to a bar where Alfonso and Jaime, uh, are as well as some other men are watching a David Lynch band. Yeah. We may as well call this the roadhouse. Yeah. I mean, come on. It, it is so much that, and they're, they're playing a song about the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the guy's got a big pompadour. I, I, you know, at the risk of repeating ourselves, this is such a Twin Peaks scene. It blows mm-hmm. my mind because Alfonso, he knows the words and he's singing along. And we also see that Jesus and Yaritza are watching from a booth nearby. And then Alfonso is like, All right, hey, the, the band wraps up that song. He's like, hey, go get a drink. And then he tells Jaime, hey, they're going to do a song I wrote called Kneel Before Me, I'm Your Leader. Mm-hmm. And Jaime says, oh, they're doing one of your songs. What's it called? Yeah. <laughs> and Alfonso just gives him this like death stare. But again, it's such a David Lynch dad joke. Yep. That I was like, I cannot believe what is fucking happening in this episode. As far as the, the Lynchian vibe that it gives off, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And Amazon killed it. Oh my goodness. It, fucking Amazon. I, you know, I haven't given up hope that. Refn is just going to put it on his own streaming channel at some point, you know? Yeah, you never write off Refn. Right. I would love to see a season two of this. We'll get into it. But uh, so Alfonso is is meeting the, the local boys and it, it's sort of a, you know, state of the union with crime. <laughs> it totally is. They've got like, they've got minute points on the agenda. This is the weirdest. Like that was again, this is pure Lynch as well. Like what they're talking about just spirals into absurdity considering these are cartel heavies essentially um enforcers killers um it's it's all very weird i had a very severe flashback to the wire and stringer bell saying are you taking fucking notes in a goddamn criminal conspiracy But that you're right. That's what's happening. They're just taking notes, and they're the, like the the business on the table is uh, hipsters, uh, white guys are uh, popping up in these taco vans, ruining the authentic Mexican taco van experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else? There, th- one of the guys is like, we need to get out of like the vendor business entirely, and proposes Duncan Cartel TV. Yep. And you know, at first I was like, I don't want to watch that. And I was like, who am I kidding? I would totally watch that. Right. Well, and he's like, hey, if the NRA has their own channel, why not us? We tell our own story. All the killings are real. And he's like, hey, I posted a killing on YouTube. I got 25,000 followers in one week. And this is what turns Alfonso around on the idea. Because at first he's like, you're full of shit. This is a terrible idea. And then he's like, 25,000 followers in one week. Are you saying, let me see that. He's got a Patreon set on, monetize this bitch. And then he says that he took, Alfonso does, he's like, I took some acting classes so I could star in this shit. Mm -hmm. And then Jaime is like, hey, what's going on with the women? Because we're losing more women. They're just disappearing. Our men are getting killed. uh, These ladies are singing a song about it, about the high priestess of death come back to life. And Jaime is like, we need to find her and make an example of her. And uh, then somebody's like, hey, w- one of the women says she saw the high priestess of death when she was a little girl and said she had the face of an angel and cold eyes and that where she went, the apocalypse followed. And I'm just emotionally erect as they're talking about this with <laughs> Yaritza in, in the room. Yeah. 
<laughs> dudes like that. Well, that is a silly description. We we can't pass around a full fit like that. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that, that narrows down nothing. But you're right. While I'm hearing that, I'm like, oh. And then Jesus chimes in and is like, we're not doing any of that shit. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to find this woman. We're going to feed her to her family and have yeah, he her liked, head on a spike. He does like the whole, I will make them suffer for a long time and then body parts pass to family members. Seems to be his go-to. Like, that's his default state. Yeah, that's only natural, Duncan. I mean, that's what I do with my enemies. When I was uh, 14, there was a guy that stole one of my bikes, and uh, I mailed his genitals to his great uncle, who, by the way, <laughs> they were not on great terms, so he kind of didn't care. Yeah, but that's because that was his great uncle's favorite part. <laughs> oh, That got dark really quick. As all great uncles are, they tend to be molesty. <laughs> yep, just a little bit. Molesty and testy. Um, <laughs> a little molesties in the testes. Oh no! The brand new Duncan and Bo shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag molesties in the testes. Thought you were gonna say the brand new Duncan and Bo show, and I was like, Bo, unless someone makes a TV show called Molesty in the Testes, we ain't doing that. Uh, you know, we could twist it if it were called testicular I'm, molestation i don't like the fact that we're talking about molesting our testicles and then you use the word twist right <laughs> the, the thought of that like sent a wind straight up right up the left side of my body Ugh. all right fair enough so uh hey speaking of uh molesties and the testes jesus is like hey you guys were talking about putting a moratorium on torture fuck that shit i want more <laughs> of it and the way he puts it i want more truly is what he says he's like i want more violence and rape and also, open season on Jews and Arabs, he says. 1,000 ahead, 2,000 if you film it. That's nuts. Yeah, well, he's, he's what this is, this is the new world order, bro. Well, and he says he's going to turn this city into a theme park of pain. It's maybe my favorite line in the history of television. Yeah, it's really good. And he's like, you guys are all acting like a bunch of American bitches. We are Mexicans. He gives them this big speech about, you know, where they came from and where they're going. And he was like, I'm giving you my vision of the future in it. I am a God. And yeah. they're all like, uh, so that's a no on the taco trucks. <laughs> and speaking of God, Duncan. Yes. We cut over to Vigo. Who I thought had died. Yeah, I thought so as well, uh, but in fact, he had just had a bad day, Yeah, and he is... And sort you've had a bad day, and... No, sorry. Oh, Duncan. <laughs> well, your partner got shot. <laughs> he doesn't know that yet. Doesn't know that yet. Your lady's got silver eyes. Doesn't know that yet, because they're back to being normal. Uh, this song is terrible. So your mom's about to die, and... Yeah, Jeez. she doesn't know who you are. Uh, but anyway, so he is, we're, we're kind of hearing his like inner monologue about if it's God's will to hate your enemies, because if you feel a sense of charity for the people that you love and care about, if that's God's will, then the feeling of hate that you have when it comes to your enemies, isn't that as much a godly emotion as the charity? Mm-hmm. And as the camera slowly pulls back, as it always does in a Nicholas Winnie Reffin film. And he slowly pulls back. Uh, we find that he is sitting at a kitchen table with his mother and a bunch of guns. 
Yeah. And, and where, and as he continues, he, he's saying to himself, like self-preservation is the higher, highest law. And then he takes out his fake eye and his mother, as played by Joanna Cassidy, picks up the fake eye, holds it uh, toward her like she's it's looking at her or something. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like she eats it. That's why I thought like a tasty grape. Right. Mm. And the music kind of swells. And then she leaves the table. And he, so he goes to look for her. He's like, Mom, did you take my eye? And she has gone to bed where she lay down and fucking died. Yeah, like a dog. Like like a dog knows it's going to die, so hides under the porch. Right. And so he finds his eye in her hand, and it was like, oh, she did a little magic trick or something. Yep, the old switcheroo. The old lyncheroo, uh, where somebody... (laughs) The old lyncheroo is where uh, somebody takes your fake eye and pretends to eat it, but instead has it in their hand. That's exactly what it is, and it will change again before this episode's out. <laughs> Almost certainly. And then he he presses her hand to his head, kind of like we've seen Diana do. Mm-hmm. And and that's it. It's just like Vigo's mother is now dead. And then he goes to meet Diana, and he says, I need to go hunting. And she's like, soon, man, calm down. Yeah, like, hold on, we'll find, there's nothing great come across the table yet, but something will, and when it does, you're the first one I'm going to come a-calling. Yeah, and he, the way he puts it is, I want mayhem. Yep. I want to like, oh, yeah. kill as many people as I can, and she's like, look, that's what we're doing, baby, it's cool. Just it's all shut. good, baby. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, no, now. It's petulant. Yeah. And she's like, what happened? What has gotten up your ass aside from all the cancer? Mm-hmm. And he's like, my mom died. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, in that case, I've been saving this one, but. <laughs> I'm just uh, like, there's no perfect case to send you on right now, except this perfect case that I can send you on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like, but I understand why she didn't do it. Because yeah, it's like, if you do this, the, every, there's every chance in the world you're going to die. Which is what she tells him. Like, Yeah, because this to me is the, the epitome of what would be the two-man job, which he very quickly realizes. And he's like, that. listen, I'll just call Martin and get Martin to help me. And I'm like, that. also people do remember there was a Martin. That, yes. That's kind of cool, that people are acknowledging his existence. And she's basically like, you know what? I don't think we're going to see him again. And I was like, yeah, you're not. He's <laughs> Right. Oh, you will, but in pieces. Yeah, you're going to get like a big toe mail to you from Jesus with no mm-hmm. return address, which makes it really difficult to, you know, market and return back. to sender. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> do not forward. Um, anyway, but she's like, I don't think this is the best idea. And he's like, well, I'll take Martin. And he's like, well, he may not come back. In fact, he's almost certainly not going to come back. And I don't think we're going to be seeing him again. Mm-hmm. And he's he's like, well, I'm going anyway. And she's like, all right, be careful. And yes, scorch this place from the earth. And, and when she said that, once again, I was like, oh, this episode is promising me everything. And if you do not deliver, I will be pissed off. Yeah. And so did we did we already say that it's a trailer park, uh, like a trailer park no. community full it's, of rapists and pedophiles? It, yeah. Yeah. It's like literally, it's, it's like literally the worst. This is a this is 
this is most easily if it was occupied by fucking sexual perverts and deviants and criminals which does exist in the united states there are communities like this i have seen that in that'll be there'll be an american tv show of some description where i think i've seen dexter actually i think dexter had to go after someone who was living in one of these under the bridge communities where it's just all tents and all the rest um where people are released that are on the sex offenders register for example and can't rejoin uh, civilization, so to speak, and um, yeah, so our buddy gets all ready to roll, gets his uh, gets his guns ready, and um, yeah, see when you see Scorch here, I'm like that. That's a bold statement, and then by God, yeah. does he not? D- d- this this whole scene coming up is maybe one of my favorite things in the entire fucking run of this show. Oh, absolutely. And it's difficult to describe, but basically what happens is Vigo shows up kind of late night, early morning Mm -hmm. with his rifle on the edge of the trailer park. And then it's just a parade of images. Yeah. All against black screen. Yes. Where we have uh, him laying waste, like killing everyone from... Guys wrapped in American flags to Nazi flags to uh, like crossdressers and rapists. And, you know, it, it's just everyone that, you know, would be in this community. There is no discrimination. It is just every last, <laughs> to quote uh, Jackie Brown, when you absolutely positively have to kill every last motherfucker <laughs> in the room, except no substitutes. And it's like Bibles and money are flying around like slow motion as people are getting shot. The music is huge and orchestral. Yeah. It's just, and it's visually, this is Wyndon Refn. Yes. <laughs> like, he has arrived. And did you He's note the hawk well, screech? There was a, Bo, let me tell you a little something right now. See when the hawk screech happened, that is when I realized that me and you are gods. Yes. <laughs> That, that we are uh, brought forth on this earth. We will be the mothers and fathers of all. We are going to seduce everyone. And we will, yep. we will be uh, the king of kings. Yep. And also that Nicholas Winden Refn 100% has listened to Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaks. Yes, absolutely. There's no, there's, it's unequivocal that he, has, he, ha- he must have listen to it it sounds like the same one too it is the same fucking sound effect i thought i actually i had to double i had to rewind back because i was thinking it's such a glorious moment for john hawk that when he every time he was shooting someone i was in my head going yeah and then the noise played and i was like did the tv just respond to me yeah yeah, it oh, oh so good. It so blew good. my fucking mind. Like listeners of this show were on the ground floor of the yep. hawk sound effect. Yep. In fact, listeners, it, you've already heard because Duncan made the sound. You've already heard our traditional hawk screech. Yeah, which has existed now for about two years in in podcast form. Yes. And what I realized is we are the influencers of of modern media. There's no getting around it. Uh, nothing will make me as happy as that. So here is for our listeners. You've heard the the first one, the one that we've been using forever. Here is the sound of uh, the hawk screeching 
in this orchestral ballet of death uh, from uh, episode nine of Too Old to Die Young. It's the same one. It's the same fucking one. It is one. absolutely the same one. Uh, so oh, I'm so proud of us. When the reference a tea leaf. Yeah. <laughs> so we we leave this scene sadly because it, it is grand. I mean, it, it's just a, a series of images, and you really need to see it. And if you watch nothing else from this series, I, I would say, and you've got Amazon Prime, find this moment in episode nine. It's it'll so be good. on YouTube. Someone must sure. have put it on YouTube by now. It's absolutely incredible. And so Diana is now uh, at a restaurant in a booth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like everyone, like remember we. Just- this is one of our favorite scenes. Uh, remember when we said right at the very start of of doing this show or like that? Yeah, like everyone's miserable. Everything is bleak. Everything is dire. It's Nicholas Winden Reffin. Um, you know who gets it really bad in this season? Anyone in the service industry. Like everyone right. in the service industry just wants paid and to deliver their order, but will instead be given this massive diatribe. Of something super fucking depressing, and um, yeah, if this, if this, like, all this girl was wanting to say is, like, listen, there's there's cherry pie or there's apple pie, but I really want to take home the cherry pie. It's been a long day, and th- at this point, Diana's like, that, you know, this would be the perfect time to scare the living shit out of you. But there's a story that accompanies this, a, a rendition of a very famous story that I was not aware of. This appears to be a kind of alternative facts sort of way of doing it. And would you like to tell the ladies and gentlemen out there, one, what the fairy tale is, or, or kind of nursery rhyme fairy tale is, and two, the version that we were not aware of? I would love to. Uh, so this waitress is like, hey, I'm going to my grandmother's house after this, so I bet you hurry the fuck up and order some pie. <laughs> and Diana is like, hey, you know, that's just like Little Red Riding Hood. Have a seat, and I've got uh, an absolute horror show to tell you about. <laughs> Let me tell you something that will age you. Yeah, and she's like, "Not uh, uh, the wolf didn't uh, eat uh, Little Red Riding Hood in, in the real story. What happened was she made little, or he made Little Red Riding Hood when he's all dressed up like the grandmother strip, mm-hmm. and then Red gets in the bed because it's so cold, and then the wolf rapes her because that's what wolves do. Yep, horny buggers. And when he's done with her, he kicks Little Red Riding Hood out of the bed and tells her to come back the next day. Yep, and- kicks her out of the bed, asks for sandwiches. Right. Give me a bowl of cereal. Get fuck out of here. <laughs> I, I prefer the cinnamon toast crunch. <laughs> and then, uh, but Diana is like, well, she was a hunter though. And by the way, it just occurred to me, Diana, the huntress from Greek mythology. Shit. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah it's all in here, bro. It's all in here. This is Wyndon Reffin. Nothing is accidental or coincidental, including the hawk sound, which she stole from us. Yeah, son of a bitch. We're we're gonna sue the shit out of Nicholas Winding Ruffin. <laughs> Hashtag NWR in court. Um Yeah, like well we'll 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 sue them, which means we're suing Amazon and the only way they'll be able to pee out is to make a second season in full. I'm I'm good with that. If that's our payout, <laughs> I'm fine with it. Uh unless we can get millions of dollars, in which case, uh fuck the show. Yeah. Let's take millions yeah, but- of dollars. <laughs> so 
But she says that uh, Little Red Riding Hood, unlike the original story, after she gets kicked out of uh, her grandmother's house after being raped by a wolf, uh, a la Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. um, that Little Red Riding Hood was actually a hunter. And so Diana says when she comes back, she gutted that wolf from tail to tongue. And the waitress goes, damn. Yeah, she, she goes, she goes gulp. <laughs> yeah, and then Diana's like, by the way, I'll have the apple pie now. Yep. And anyway, the waitress is like, hey, are you waiting for anybody? And she's like, yep. In fact, make that two slices of pie. And then there's a pause. Mm-hmm. And then Vigo walks in. And you see Diana smile. And she kind of laughs and shakes her head like, I can't believe you crazy motherfucker. <laughs> And there's a moment where she takes his hand and he's talking to her, but we can't hear anything. And Diana, uh, we see her crying. Mm-hmm. And then the, we start to hear the dialogue again. And she says, do you like apple pie? And uh, he's like, yeah, I do. How How is it? And she says, you know, it's delicious. Also, we're going to be meeting somebody new soon. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, really? Who's that? And Diana says, I don't know her name, but she's coming. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah that episode by the way entitled the empress is super metal um oh from start to finish yeah i mean again it starts with crazy silver eyes mystical shit about getting messages from beans vigo's mom dies then he just wages fucking war on a bunch of sexual deviants and then uh, we get the coming of Yoritsa alluded to, and we're like, I don't know about you, Duncan. I'm thinking episode 10. Well, <laughs> this is where it finally happens. Well, the, like I was thinking to myself, episode 10 is half an hour long. That's a lot of story to cram in. Like, a lot of story. They will not be able to take their foot off the accelerator for one second. And instead, Duncan... They spend approximately half the episode following Diana around her apartment. <laughs> yeah, and and so th- this episode, by the way, uh, episode ten, titled "The World," and this mm-hmm. is going to be quick. There's like there's four scenes in this whole sh- episode. Yes, the first scene, Diana is watching some kind of VR tutorial on masturbation. Yep, and so we see Jenna Malone like rub herself off in bed then like as this voice is like now rub your clitoris counterclockwise hold your breath count to Mm -hmm. 10 and i tried all of this duncan and none of it worked for me well the last time that we also got to remember the last time we saw uh, gina malone um get physical it was with a corpse in neon demon where yeah. she she went full on necromantic on that fucking dead body, so um, yeah, I was just I, I was just glad to see it was done in VR. To be honest, right this this time the corpse was virtual at least. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she like showers, she shaves her legs, she uh, goes to the pool and calls into work and is like, <coughs> uh, I can't make it today, um, and. You know, her clearly her coworker is like, Oh, I can cover for you. What do you have? And she, you know, tells her, like, hey, here's here's what's on my docket today. I should be fine by tomorrow. And then, 
hangs up, hangs out by the pool for a little while longer, um, goes inside, watches some UFO videos. Of course. Where the host of this, one presumes, YouTube series about UFOs is telling the story of this like um, Air Force, female Air Force pilot who got contacted by these aliens. And one, you know, it's, it's not tough to make the connection to um, Gina Malone's beans. Mm-hmm. Uh, which now means that too old to die young is about aliens, much like Maybe. <laughs> much like another show that we have discussed, uh, a Twin Peaks, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, in the as the host describes this story, he's like, "Yeah, the uh, after she got this." you know, contact with these aliens, she basically just dropped out of society to help spread this message. And, uh, you know, the aliens told her if people could get along with the aliens, peace and love would spread all over the world. And he's like, you know, let's throw it over to our co-host for more monkey puppet. Yes. And Bo was the happiest man ever. This was one of the greatest things that has ever (laughs) happened in my life. Because once again, like random monkey at nowhere, Twin Peaks. Right. Yeah. It, and not just a, a monkey. It's a monkey hand puppet. Yeah. And the, the puppet is like, boy, she sounds crazy. <laughs> and he's like, fuck all this pea shit. Burn it down. Blow it up. And then he says, and I quote, monkey puppet gives zero fucks about peace. Yeah. I want that in my t-shirt. Are you kidding me, man? Uh, like, the note that followed that was, this is amazing. <laughs> I could not have been happier in this moment. It's, everything about this was like, Refn <laughs> clearly had been listening to the, the Duncan and Bo uh, go to Twin Peaksies show. Yeah. And was like, first of all, I got to take the hawk sound effect out of there. Mm-hmm. Also, one of these guys really loves monkeys. I'll tell you what, as a little Easter egg for him, because they might be asking themselves, did did that asshole listen to our podcast and steal mm-hmm. our hawk sound? This is just for them. So they know for sure that's what happened. And this is why we're going to get that Bezos money. That sweet, sweet, sweet Bezos money. Right. And so, and that's it. That's the, the, the scene. Uh, then we see Diana dancing around her house for literally the length of a song, like five, six minutes. Yeah. Well, the, this, the, it's a half an hour episode and 15 to 16 minutes of it are this. Yes. And then it, we see Diana like sitting cross-legged and it's her, again, kind of an inner monologue about the coming future mm-hmm. where she says things like soon violence will become erotic. Uh, the concentration camps will be rebuilt. Ignorant ignorance will be rewarded. Religion will be corrupted to venom. The few will have everything and most will have nothing and they will have their own dynasty. And, and like all of this is describing modern America, by the way, this is absolutely ref and being like, Hey assholes, this is what's going on. Yeah. And then she says, but we will have our own civilization that will rise from this. And we will wake with the fury of the world. A new mutation will emerge. And on that day, we will declare the dawn of innocence. It's powerful shit. 
It's really good. By the way, see you, Diana. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Not see you, Diana, because she's going to meet Eureka, remember? Oh, right, right, right. In fact, the very next scene, which begins with about 12 minutes left in the show. Yeah. Um, we see her sitting in the car, kind of like we saw Jesus at the at the beginning of uh, episode one. Mm-hmm. That's uh, exactly, yeah. And looking at this building, except this time it's daytime, and she walks into this uh, this business, and it turns out this is a brothel uh, that is run by Jaime, who has you know some women in there as well as some other members of the cartel. And, and what we know about Yuritsa is that she really likes to go places that the the women that have been exploited on it. She likes to go there, say hi, ask how everyone's doing. Yeah. And and you know, high fives all the men on her way out. Mm-hmm. Um does nothing to disrupt the uh conducting of this kind of business in any way, shape, or form. None at all. Not disruptive. If anything, she is encouraging of the whole situation. <laughs> right. Well, and Jaime, as soon as he sees her walk in, she, he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? It's pretty much, he's like, what, what, something isn't right here. You shouldn't be here. Why are you here? Yeah. And she's just like that. Well, maybe, maybe fucking get me a drink, bitch. Well, th- the way she puts it is, Jesus said, this is where the Mexicans drink and mm-hmm. I want to be with my people. And ha- yeah. And Jaime's like, all right, uh, that's no problem. But he he's like, a lady like you really should not be here. And she's like, just get me a fucking drink. <laughs> and, and he uh, he then orders one of the girls who's kind of sitting along the back wall of this place, just sitting there looking sad and horrible. Uh, he tells her, like, hey, pour us a drink. And uh, the girl comes around, pours uh, two shots of tequila, and then Jaime says, hey, what should we drink to? And Yaritza says, hey, whatever you want. And he's like, to life. And she's like, sounds good to me. Meanwhile, I've got my killing jacket on, if nobody noticed. Yeah, I noticed. I was like, oh, shit. Right. She is not here as Yaritza. She is here as, as the high priestess of death. Mm-hmm. And Jaime is, is telling like his men, like, oh, no, no. You've got to treat her like a queen because that's what she is. And... Uh, then he writes is like, don't be rude. Get me another drink. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's about to call for the girl. He's like, no, 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 you serve it to me. And so he does. And they have another drink and another dude, one of the cartel guards or whatever is like, Hey, my cousin's from Mexico. Where are you from? Yuritza? And she says the desert. Yeah, that's right. And I was like, Oh no. Right, it's like, oh, this is about to pop off. By the way, there's only like six minutes left in this episode. That doesn't seem hardly right. <laughs> is Diana just going to appear at the door? Is she also a drinker at this establishment? What was happening? Or something, yeah. And then uh, then Yaritza asks the women who are just kind of sitting along the back wall, like, hey, do you know the song about the high priestess of death? And one of the women is like, yeah, I know it. Uh, and she's got a guitar. And uh, Yaritza is like, all right, play it. And so this woman picks up her guitar and plays this song all about the high priestess of death. Mm-hmm. And as the song is going on, Yaritza is just standing in the middle of the room. And all the men are getting more and more uncomfortable as the lyrics unfold that are just like, she, you know, she 
avenges women who men shit on and murders them in front of those women. And yeah. She shows up at bars where lots of people are at and murders all the men. Yeah, and they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. If you hear this song, you will die. She's got a jacket with eyeballs and a skull. <laughs> She's standing right in front of you and you're right. about to die. <laughs> <laughs> She's right here, you better run. And... And then <laughs> this is not a song. This is a warning. <laughs> hey, stop singing for a second. What What was that you were saying? Oh, nothing. I was just singing a song. Uh, yeah. Are you saying we're in danger? No, under no danger. What? That's crazy. All right, go back to singing. No, seriously, this is a warning. You're all in grave danger. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Stop singing for a second. What What did you just say? Nothing. I'm just singing the song. I don't know what the problem uh, is. <laughs> Go and play the next version. Death to men. Um, so. <laughs> Death to men. Right now. I mean, right now. Really, she's got a gun. Uh, but yeah, so when it's over, Jaime is like, hey, Yurisa, why were you having to play that song? And she she is facing the door out. Yeah. And we see this sparkle come from within her jacket. And I was like, holy shit. Is this like when, you know, like is a, a dude in a comedy pulls open his pants and the light of God comes out from his crotch or something. And, <sighs> yeah, but it turns out, Duncan, it's the sparkle off the diamond holster of yep. her gun that she had made, you know, in, back in episode three or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. And she then, Duncan, as she does uh, almost in, in every episode that she's in, murders a room full of people efficiently and brutally. Oh yeah, yeah. She she goes to she goes to town on these people, and it's done. It's once again choreographed really beautifully. It's slow motion. She's spinning around. She's getting uber violent, and when it all culminates, everyone is dead except Jaime, who's still. I'm not dead. I'm just very badly shot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Poor Jaime is just like, hey, what do I have to do to not get killed by you? Mm-hmm. And she's like, nothing. And he says, why? <laughs> so, what do I need to do to not get killed by you? Didn't you listen to the lyrics of the song? I explained it all there. Right. The woman sang it. Did you not listen to it? Yeah, so will you sing the song again, please? <laughs> There's nothing you can do. <laughs> She's going to murder you no matter what, especially if you have two ponytails. Uh, <laughs> and when, when he asks her why, her response is, because I'm the high priestess of death, an unadulterated extermination machine, eliminating all evil from the universe. And yep. you are part of that evil. <laughs> right, like the episode before this, we got a theme park of pain. She's an unadulterated extermination machine. Yeah. I'm like, man. Every person in this that describes himself describes himself like an Austrian death metal band. <laughs> it's the fucking greatest thing ever we are a never ending eclipse that covers the earth in darkness what's the name of your band death bunny (laughs) we will hop to your doom (laughs) oh it's so good it's so fucking good and and then she shoots Jaime in the fucking face in the face right as a no open casket for this motherfucker yeah walks out of the bar credits yeah that is the end of not just season one that is the good old-fashioned end of too old to die young 
Yeah, that's that is all we're getting, ladies and gents. That is all she wrote. It's. Uh... I mean, it's not right, and with the knowledge that we have now, it's not the greatest ending in the world. But it is the the greatest ending in the world. You know what I mean? It's it's one of these things where I don't know how much. I actually don't know how much Wyndon Refn would change if he knew he wasn't getting a second season. I think he'd probably do it exactly the same way again, which is, I mean, it's not like it, it, we, the characters don't meet, but we understand without stretching too much that she's on a path to meet Diana and things will take their course from there. But yeah, we've set up some really interesting characters. We've set up some really interesting set pieces. Um, and the war is about to happen, and unfortunately, the show is being cancelled. But I will tell you this, Bo Ranstall, for two shorter episodes, um, fucking when the ref knows how to finish strong. Dear God. I yeah. mean, he went all esoteric, all weird, went as weird as he could possibly get. Once again, it, it smacks of the, you know, the end of... Season one of Twin Peaks, you know how like they start introducing the weird shit, but it isn't until like the last episode of the first season they're like, oh by the way, people are talking backwards and there's hidden rooms and you've been shot and then all this shit's happening and look at this and then the, ma- the man's a giant and time's a flat circle, you know, like it goes all crazy, crazy right at the end of that first season and it kind of went that way here, but in a way where I was really excited about it and yeah, like holy fucking shit for for a show that we were both like yeah this could be i mean i was interested you were like i'm gonna give it a shot and see how we go the way i described it on online when it finished is it might be out with something like twin peaks it might be the most singular vision piece of television i think i have ever seen if you remove twin peaks from the equation i i just can't think of anything that has spoke with the voice that this has um, consistently all the way through and just does not give a fuck. This show does not give a fuck about anyone, anything, your feelings, Amazon, anything at all. And um, yeah, I fucking loved it. What what did you think when it finished? Yeah, I mean, I knowing that there wasn't going to be a second season Mm -hmm. and getting a pretty good idea by the end of episode nine, like this is not going to wrap up. Yeah. And, and so I had kind of prepared myself for that. And, and that's great. Uh, I, you know, it, it, I, I'm fine with it, not resolving itself in a way that's like, Oh, well this is, you know, absolutely a fitting into this story. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a story that kind of stops. And so I would sort of warn viewers, like if that's a thing that's going to turn you off, then, avoid yeah this that's absolutely going to be your experience in seeing this however uh you know i have not been necessarily the biggest fan of nicholas winding reffin's uh films understatement but we'll go with that um but i i had such a blast with this like i said uh you know uh either last episode or the one before i really feel like television like long form storytelling is kind of his best self. Like it is like his, his uh, natural evolution. It's and- interesting. You say that because critically 
critics are coming down on the other side and saying that the long-form environment makes them too indulgent. Right, but that's the stuff I'm interested in seeing. Like, the other stuff just feels like there is a veneer of style placed atop the the story that is, you know, it, it's fine, but it feels like, you know, I, I've made this argument before, that there's a bit of style over substance with some of his work. Whereas mm-hmm. here, because the style is so much the focus, it just, it, the story becomes completely secondary. <laughs> And there's cool shit that happens, no question about it, but it's more like, hey, this guy for 13 hours is just going to let his mind, you know, unravel on screen. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fascinating. And I really enjoyed it, like up to and including the unsatisfying conclusion. Uh, I thought it was incredibly cool. Yeah. And I, I you know, it's, it's, Dude, like I said, you know, the theme park of pain and and the speech that uh, Yaritza gives, uh, like all that stuff is just so rocking. Yeah. And and like I said, because I knew what I was getting into and and the long takes and all that stuff, and I just sort of settled into it as opposed to feeling like, hey, man, we've only got two hours to tell this story. How yeah. about you quicken this up so we can get around to the business of, of doing a movie where whereas with this i just i felt more i don't know at ease with him as a filmmaker in this scenario yeah I, well what would be interesting though is and i think you've said it before but what would be interesting though is you going back now and checking yes. out some of that previous stuff now that you have not that like some new appreciation but you have your entry point now well, you you have that hook into his work that the evolution of where that goes, even though it's taking you on a journey backwards, it's like finding an album from a band kind of halfway through their career, knowing fine well you tried to get into that band years before but couldn't, and then you finally find the thing that makes you gel with them, and then you go back and understand the genius of it, and that's what I'm excited about because I don't know, like to me, this journey started as soon as you enjoyed Only God Forgives. Yeah, yeah, and I really did enjoy of, that. Yeah. yeah, a movie of all these movies, that's the one where the its style over substance gets most applied to. There's a like critically that was you know the the big critical complaint about that one is that nothing happens in that movie, um, right? But maybe that's the that's the touchstone for me is like when the yeah. story is so basic or just so sidelined that it's like no 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 that's not the point. Yeah, the point is to to just experience this world that he's creating, and and maybe that's it. Maybe and like you said, maybe when I go back now and and watch, um, you know, Neon Demon again and and Drive and stuff like mm. that, that I'm gonna come away from it thinking, oh, that was actually like now that I I'm tuned in to that frequency, I can enjoy it a lot more. So. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is what he did in this one. I don't know how much of it is a statement on how he makes things, but he completely subverts the expectation by killing off the character that he would generally keep, you know, as the the main throng of his story. I mean, the Miles Teller character is, by all intents and purposes, the archetype of what Wyndham Refn thinks a hero is. Um, And we use those words loosely. Um... But the fact he like viciously killed him off, 
an hour and a half before the end of the show, and then really there's only one conversation briefly mentioned about him, and that is it. Um, I think it's quite an interesting statement. I don't know how much of that is him saying, right, I'm moving away from that, or if it's if it is as clever as that, or if maybe he's just like that, they will never expect this to happen. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I am overjoyed at this season, even though, like we say, it's kind of bittersweet. Um, I think it's everything. It is absolutely 100% everything I was hoping I was going to get from a long-form Wind and Refn TV show. Everything that I was hoping I would get arrived. And I don't know if I can say that with many TV shows. Like, maybe out something like, oh, once again, linking it back to Twin Peaks of Return. I think Twin Peaks of Return overperformed my expectations. And I think, in some respects, this did the same. I had no idea where we were going to go. At the beginning of this, at the end of the first episode, if you had told me this is where we would have ended up, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have thought you'd lost your fucking mind. And yeah, it's been a great, it's been a great journey. I'm so happy we've done it. It was one of those ones where we're like, will we do this? And then, okay, yeah, I suppose we could do this. And yeah, this is the, these are, I think these are the sort of shows where we shine when we get an opportunity to talk about them. Because there's so much, regardless if you say there's not a lot happening at the front end or, or whatnot, there's so much room to take the conversation. Um, and he's not, I, he clearly isn't doing it just to be obtuse. Uh, there's there's clear references to things. There's clear things happening in the background or the subtext of the story, and I think that's where Wyndham Refn shines. I think he is exactly how you described him right back at the beginning of the series. That he is a grindhouse director, an exploitation director who just so happens to have an art house aesthetic, and I think that's spot on. I think it's the best way to describe him. And when you think about all those grindhouse movies and all those exploitation movies from the seventies, the stories are basic. Yeah, they have to, they have to be basic because not a lot of money to do much else, and I think that's what he does. But he just happens to have a visual eye and a bit more money that he can do what he wants with him, and I think that's what makes him a fascinating filmmaker. And uh, what has made this journey through it fucking great. Really, really, really dug this. The two shows we have done thus far for this year for um, for for Duncan and Bo have been both incredible you know i mean when we think about true detective and we think about um uh, too old to die young i think both of them have been incredible works of television couldn't be any different if they tried and that's the exciting thing about tv now is you can get these huge scopes these amazing works that take you on these journeys with characters that you never know what's going to be safe uh, or who's going to be safe and at the end of it you have so much more you can talk about um and so much more to look back over. I can't wait to revisit this. It won't be this year. But as soon as it becomes available on Blu-ray or, or whatever that happens with it, um, I will go back through this again. And I can't fucking wait. So uh, speaking of Duncan, of, yes. of what comes next, we are and we are going to be all for just really a couple of weeks. I think it's about two. Yeah. And then we're going to be launching into our look at season two of Mindhunter. We didn't do the first season. But we're real Johnny Come Latelys on a lot of these shows where we're like, well, let's see how it is first. Yeah, like never overcommit to something that can be binged in Netflix in a day. Right. right? You know I mean, I'd like, I'm always the kind of, uh, we'll wait and see. Even with Fincher's name attached, it could easily shit the bed. And we both, it's safe to say, we both really liked that first season. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm very excited to see the second season. And I propose, Duncan, we have not Ooh. discussed this ahead of time. I propose that we we refer to this season upcoming as Duncan and Bo Hunt Mines. <laughs> I see what you did there, and I like it. All right. Well, so, uh, folks, as always, uh, thanks. Oh, by the way, I, I can't wait to get the, to the point in that show where we have Charles Manson voiced by Winfo- Wilford Brimley, just letting you know. Done and done. We're just going to mark it right now that Charles Manson yeah. will be Wilford Brimley. Um <laughs> and uh, uh, we'll we'll figure out who Ed Kemper is going to be. Uh, but I do like <laughs> I like the idea of uh, Charlie Vance being like, "Well, we we got to kill Sharon Tate. It's the right thing to do for all the right reasons." <laughs> going to kill us a goddamn movie star. God damn it. God damn it. Um, uh, but yeah, that's where we're going next. And then if all that wasn't enough, because we'll be doing a similar sort of format. I know it all releases at the same time, but we're doing probably two episodes per recording. Yes. Um, over five recordings, probably. I think there's about 10 episodes of that show. And then by the time we finish that, we will once again have maybe about two weeks off, two, three weeks off. And then Duncan and Bo will be visiting the Terror. That's or right. Duncan and Bo right. will be going to the Terror. Duncan and Bo will be terrorized. I don't know. I, I, I thought You're better than Duncan and Bo get terrified, I thought was a good one. We'll do that. And so we'll be doing the second season of a TV show, which we both fucking loved. So, yeah. Oh, spoiled this year, man. Absolutely spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, we've got good stuff behind us, good stuff ahead. Uh, listeners, thank you all so much for joining us on this really crazy journey through the. Uh, the aesthetic and and taste of Nicholas Winding Refn. We will be back in a few short weeks to uh, hunt mines with Mindhunter season two on Netflix. And uh, that's it, folks. Uh, say good night, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Goodbye.